It was about 9 or 10 o'clock at night. He had about seven or eight hours at the most before he would be nailed to a cross. Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room. He knew how imminent his death was. And he said some words to those disciples that he wanted to penetrate their minds and their hearts, not only then, but forever. In a way, this is a kind of figurative deathbed statement from Jesus. The last words of any person are significant because you are careful about the words you use. You want to say what's most important to those people, the one thing you want to communicate to them the most. At a moment such as this, you don't talk about trivial matters. You don't talk about the weather and politics athletics. You get to the real crux of what's important. And Jesus does that in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John. If you have your Bible, turn to it. If you'd like to take the Bible that's in the book rack in front of you, turn to page 1067. These are nearly the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples. Well, there's some other statements that he made along the way. These are nearly the last words he specifically addressed to his followers, therefore to us. These words must leap off the page and into our lives because that's exactly what he wants to happen in your life and in mine. And he says this to them, 34th verse. Let me back up to the 33rd. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. I mean, he's talking hours. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. He was going to taste death for every man. And then he says this, a new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In that brief, succinct statement, he uses the word love four times. Do you think he's trying to say something to us? Four times he uses the word love. A new command I give you. A new commandment I give you. Well, we know about the Ten Commandments. We may know some, if we know anything at all about Jewish history, how those Ten Commandments were amplified into all kinds of applications, implications uh, to all phases and facets of life, to the point where they finally had 613 laws. 238 of them were commands, positive commands. 365 of them were negative commands, don'ts, thou shalt nots. 39 of them had to do with the observance of what you could do or could not do 
on the Sabbath day alone. 618 commandments. The Ten Commandments. Take all of them and roll them together. And Jesus makes a statement that suddenly takes all of the commandments and reduces them to one. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. On another occasion he said love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does not abrogate the law. It does not cancel the law. It does not eliminate the law. It fulfills the law. It's easy to understand. If we really love, if we really love one another, if you really love someone, you're not going to kill them. You don't need the Ten, uh, the ten Commandments to tell you thou shalt do no murder. If you love somebody, you're not going to murder them. If you love somebody, you're not going to lie about them. You're not going to steal from them. If you love someone, you're going to be faithful to them as husband or wife. So the Ten Commandments are all fulfilled in the word love. Love one another. Love one another. For love is the fulfillment of the law. And I think you and I know we have only to look at our society to realize that unless we learn how by the grace and the word and the spirit of God to love one another, our society is in terrible peril. Law won't do it. And I'm in favor of all of the laws that would in any way restrict immoral behavior. But that won't work. It will not preserve a society and it will certainly not preserve our lives. Love is the most powerful force in the world and that's why Jesus is making this incredible declaration. A new commandment, a fulfilling of all the old commandments I give you and that is to love one another. How desperately our society needs it. Arthur Wellesley, better known as the Duke of Wellington, defeater of Napoleon at Waterloo, said, you educate children without religion and you create a race of devils. You educate children without religion. You create a race of devils. We don't have to look very far back to see that take place, do we not? An editorial uh, in a popular news magazine some time ago said, we live in an age of obliteration. All values are unsettled, all norms are broken. Humanity has become a distorted image of its once noble self. We're like a man getting drunk at his own funeral. We're like a sundial on a stormy day. We cannot tell the time. Well, my friends, we better let the sun come out. Let the sun of righteousness come out and shine upon our lives if we're going to know the way into the future. And the way into the future is to love God. This is a new commandment, to love one another. Now, the, the clearest description of this is in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus says this over and over and over again. That's page 1005 if you want to look in the Bible, then the book rack in front of you. Uh, a scribe, the first century equivalent of, a, of an attorney, came up to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus reached back into the Old Testament and picked up two verses, one from Deuteronomy, one from Leviticus, and put them together and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
and the other is like it, inseparable from it, indivisible, namely, you shall love one another as you love yourself. Love one another as you love yourself. Now, isn't it interesting that in that statement, Jesus predicates our love for one another upon two things. Number one, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look, you're never going to get anywhere in loving one another until you first love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not going to get anywhere. You can go to seminaries and seminars and read books and try to lift yourself by your own spiritual bootstraps. You can get up every morning and say, I'm going to love everybody, but it will never happen. Until we love God first, until we put him first and allow his love to begin to permeate our lives and to reach out into us like salt and light to change our lives and our attitudes and our relationships. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. In other words, the totality of your being. And therefore, when you love God, you'll have a different attitude toward yourself. You'll see yourself as an object of God's love. You'll see how worthy you are in the sight of God. You will have self-respect, not because of vanity or egotism or self-centeredness, but because you're loved by God. And so you have a different respect for yourself. You won't put anything into your mind that's going to ruin it. You won't put anything into your body that's going to debilitate it. You care about yourself. So what is Jesus saying? Be as nice to other people as you are to yourself. How do we love ourselves? Well, we love ourselves unconditionally, don't we? We love ourselves spontaneously. I mean, if your house happens to catch on in the fire in the middle of the night, God forbid, and you wake up and you smell the smoke and you can see the flames, are you going to sit there on the side of your bed and say, oh, I don't know whether I deserve to be saved or not. I, I didn't go to church last Sunday and I, I haven't uh, been reading my Bible. I've been thinking some thoughts I shouldn't think and I don't know whether the smoke just billowing in there and and the fire raging in there. You sit there on the side of your bed saying, well, I just am not sure that I deserve to be saved. I don't know that I deserve to get out of here. Let me tell you something. I don't care what I've done or what I haven't done, what I have thought or have not thought. If my house catches on fire, I'm going to get me out of there. And I can talk about all that other stuff later. I'm going to get me out of there because I'm committed to myself. Isn't that what Jesus is saying we're to do? We're to be equally committed to one another, spontaneously and unconditionally and sacrificially. I would not leave that house without trying to take my family with me. And Jesus, how did he love us? And that's the next point. Not only do we have a new commandment, but we have a new attitude. Jesus said, as I have loved you. Wow, that's dynamite. Look. He's saying, as I have loved you, you love one another. How does he love us? Well, look at him. Read through these words of the New Testament. You'll see him loving us unconditionally. You'll see him loving us spontaneously. You'll see him loving people irrespective of who they are, where they were, or what they were. You watch him reach out across racial lines. It incited the Jews. A lot of them were upset about that. But Jesus was inclusive. He reached outside racial lines. He reached outside social lines to tax collectors and to prostitutes. He reached outside moral lines to anybody and to everybody. He reached out to the unwanted and the unloved, to the lepers of the world. He reached out to everybody. So are we to be like that. 
The day the church begins to get exclusive and self-righteous and start looking down our pious noses at the world around us, God removes his spirit from us for we have denied the one we claim to worship. As I have loved you, and I've loved you when you were unlovable, and I loved you when you were running away from me, and I've loved you when you shook your fist in my face, and I've loved you when you went off to the far country. I've loved you. Now you love the world the same way. As I have loved you, so you love one another. New attitude. The extent of that love is that he died for us. Greater love hath no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. You know what Jesus did? Greater love hath no man than Jesus, than he laid down his life for his enemies. That's why Jesus said to us, love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Now I want to tell you, if, if you think Christianity is not serious business and difficult, you haven't read the New Testament. I mean, anybody that can read those words of Jesus and just sort of say, well, I understand that and I practice that. I don't. I tell you what, that's why we need to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and let his spirit begin to permeate us because we can never love like he loved unless we allow his spirit within us and allow his spirit to love through us to the world around us. Not only do we have a new commandment, a new attitude, we also have a new standard of judgment for us. Now the water really begins to hit the wheel here. A new standard of judgment for us. So you must love one another as I have loved you. So you must. Not elect, that's not an elective for me. And it's not an elective for you. We must love one another. It's compelling. It's a commandment. It's an order. You must do it. The word must was often on the lips of Jesus, even at 12 years of age when his parents had missed him and he had stayed over at the temple and they'd come back to find him. And they said, where were you? What were you doing? He said, I must be about my father's business. But you know, I must be about my father's business. In his ministry, he said, I must go to Jerusalem. I must suffer many things of the chief priests, elders, and scribes and be killed and on the third day rise again. I must do it. And he puts that same compulsion within us and that same commitment within us if we will allow him to do so. We must love one another. He expects us to because he loves those folks through us just like he did in person when he walked the dusty roads of Galilee and Judea. Do you realize that you and I can keep all the commandments and be lost? We can keep all ten commandments and be lost. If you uh, want to turn with me to page, oh, where am I here? Ten twenty, ten thirty-six and ten thirty-nine. Uh, Luke the sixteenth chapter and the nineteenth verse. Jesus tells a couple of stories here. Talking about this standard of judgment, whereby you and I are going to be judged. In the, uh, in the 19th verse of the 16th chapter, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. 
At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell, where he was in torment. Now let me ask you, why did Jesus say that this rich man, the word dives is used in some translations in the Latin Vulgate, when the Bible was translated from Greek into Latin, uh, he used the name dives because it's an adjective uh, in Latin that means rich. It was just a rich man. So he got the name dives, though that name is not actually used in the scripture. But it was a, a wealthy man. What was his sin? What, what did he do? I'll tell you what he did. It wasn't what he did. It's what he didn't do. He didn't care. He had all of this sumptuous wealth and here at his door was a beggar, sick, covered with sores. And all he got were the crumbs the dogs would eat. Jesus places him in eternal torment not because of anything he did but because he didn't care. You know, the word sloth is used as one of the seven uh, deadly sins. Early church fathers came up with, with a kind of a catalog of sins, seven deadly sins. They were kind of the heavyweight sins. And then there were the light heavyweight sins. And then the middleweight and welterweight and lightweight, featherweight sins. They had a whole catalog of them. And uh, so sloth is used as one of the seven deadly sins. Now, now, most of the time we think the word sloth means lazy. Well, it does in our vocabulary today and in some of the uh, etymological studies of the word. But you go back far enough and the real source of that word is a Greek word, akadia, which means I don't care. That's what that seven deadly sins is about. It's not just about being lazy. It's about being indifferent to the needs of hurting, sick, lonely, lost disinherited, disenfranchised people. Turn the page to the next chapter, the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, why do you call me good, Jesus said. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. See, wealth wasn't really his problem. It was just his priority. He put his money before God. And anything you and I put ahead of our relationship to God will destroy us. We don't know what happened to this wonderful young man who he kept all Ten Commandments. Kept all of them. But he never put the love of God first in his heart and in his life. And what Jesus was saying here is demonstrate outwardly a change inwardly by giving your money away. 
That was his God. And he was saying, you're going to have to replace your God. If you're going to follow me, you have to put me first. And then everything else will follow. The point is, you can keep all Ten Commandments and still be lost. Still be lost. I know some really very fine Christian people who don't give. They don't give. The members of this church who don't give a dime. I don't know who you are because I've never looked at the giving records. I just look at the statistics, the numbers. You see, the very nature of love is to give. I mean, that's the nature of love. If you love, you give. It's not something you have to do. It's just something you want to do. The nature of love is to give. How many of us are wearing something that somebody gave us as a gift of love? Nearly everybody in here. This ring, this ring, this watch, uh, this tie, excuse me, this tie, this tie tack here, this fountain pen. That's about as far as I want to go without (laughs) embarrassing myself here. But... Nearly everybody in this room is wearing something somebody gave you because they love you. If you love Jesus, you will give. The Bible says, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is a sin. I'm I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what the word of God says. To him that knows to do good, to, to help the Lazaruses of the world. To put Jesus Christ first. To be caring about other people. If we don't do that, we can be lost. If we don't love, we're lost. Think about giving your heart. I'm not talking about your money. Giving your heart. You give your heart to Christ. You love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You'll begin to love others. And you'll begin to care about a church that's trying to reach other people for Christ. You'll be concerned about a Christian ministry that reaches out to touch people in education and in medicine and in missions around the world. If you love God, you'll want to give because of what? Because you have to? Or because Buckner said something about it? Not, a, not at all. That won't make any difference in your life. But because God says, if you love me, you'll give. If you love me, you'll help others with your time, with your talent, with your money, with your encouragement. With whatever resources you have, you will help other people. If any man, the Bible says, if any man has not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now listen, that's strong medicine. If any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Well, what is the Spirit of Christ? What are the qualities of the Spirit of Christ? The Bible tells us love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, humility, self-control. Are those qualities that permeate your life and characterize your living? I don't know. But according to this scripture, 
The whole new standard of judgment set forth by Jesus is whether or not we love. And then finally, it's a new basis for witnessing. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Doesn't say all men will know that you're my disciples if you are Orthodox Baptist. Whatever that is. Uh, you know, you can be you can be just as straight as a gun barrel theologically and just as empty. All men will know you're my disciples if you're Baptist. No, we know it doesn't say that. You know, God is more interested in orthopraxy than he is orthodoxy. We spend a lot of time talking about orthodoxy. And frankly, I am really tired of churches arguing with one another, debating one another over jots and tittles in the law when the whole world is lost and going to hell because we don't love. It is our love that will make a difference. It was his love that made a difference in the world and we are his body and that's what we're here to do, to let his love flow through us and reach out to a world, whoever they are, whatever they are, wherever they've come from, what color, what language, whatever, we are to be here as God's body on this earth to embody his spirit with love and joy and peace and all of the graces of the Holy Spirit. tell you a story, a true story. Father William Bosch, Catholic priest, tells the story. He knew, he, knew, he knew the source of the story. It was during World War II in the worst days of Nazism. World War II. In the 56, 57, 58 years that Hitler lived, this diabolical satanic man was responsible for killing tens of millions of people. And it just amazes me and disturbs me that there are people today who would look to that man as their hero. They too are satanic and evil. Millions and millions and millions of people killed. Not only by him, Stalin and Mao Zedong, oh, on and on and on you could go. Elisevich. Well, Private Schultz was part of the German army that was occupying Yugoslavia. Interestingly enough, Yugoslavia. And uh, the sergeant called out the names of eight men. Private Schultz was one of the eight whose name was called. And they thought they were going to go on a detail of some kind. And so he got them together, the sergeant did, and all of them, they marched out two or three miles outside the camp. And there, standing in an open field, were eight Yugoslavian men and women. Five men, three women. And the sergeant said, face them. Load and lock. Then he said, ready, aim. We're going to kill all eight of those Yugoslavians. 
execute. Before he said fire, they suddenly heard a thud hit the ground. And they all stopped. And they looked. And Private Schultz had dropped his rifle and had walked over and joined hands with the eight Yugoslavians. The sergeant said, ready, aim, fire. They killed the eight Yugoslavians and they killed Private Schultz. They found in his pocket a little piece of paper and on that little piece of paper were written these words. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Everything else is going to fail. You know this from the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Prophecies, he said, will cease. Tongues will be stilled. Knowledge will pass away. The only thing that lasts is love. And the only people who last are those who love. A new commandment. He gives me and you and us love one another. Would you begin by telling him you love him today if you've never done so? Walk down one of these aisles to become a part of this fellowship? Would you come to be a part of the life and fellowship of this church to give yourself and your time, your talent, your money, your energy, your influence to help us make a difference in the world for Christ? The Bible says that Christ loved the church and gave himself to it and for it. God help us to love him and to love his people and to give ourselves to one another, to love one another. I'll be right here to greet you. Let's stand, you come.